Hey there, guys. Max here again. I just wanted to ask you to leave the podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Please just leave us a review. It helps get more people to the podcast and learn more about life. So thanks for tuning in, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. Will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hello and welcome back to the knowledge is power podcast now i'm very excited for this because we already had one pond guy on but we actually have a pond professor on today which is very cool i'm very interested in hearing uh you know the behind the scenes of how these ponds are built so if you could go ahead and introduce yourself that would be great absolutely yeah uh, good morning my name is ed Ballou. i am with aquascape incorporated i am vice president of field research and contractor development and I have been with Aquascape since 1993. Wow, very cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you could go into your background, sort of your sure. history, and how you met up with Aquascape, and eventually, you know, started building ponds, that would be a great starting point. Yeah, that sounds great. So, I uh, right before I started working with Aquascape, my degree is in zoology. And I specialized in limnology, which is, the, which is the study of freshwater ecosystems. So that was my okay. bachelor's undergraduate study. I started my master's degree in marine biology and coastal zone management. And this would have been uh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I was going to school down in Florida at a research facility. And uh, I was talking with some of the other uh, members of the class. And, and they said the job market had kind of changed a little bit. I was newly married. Uh, so I was a little concerned that I wouldn't be able to get a job right away. And um, so I was offered actually a job back in the Chicagoland area as a environmental chemist. So I was working as a lab technician in a recycling style facility. I was doing uh, wastewater analysis, hazardous waste analysis and things like that, which was very interesting work. Um, but I kind of saw my life flash before my eyes and I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I want to be in a lab um, for my entire career. I mean, it was, again, interesting experience, but I always had aspirations of working out in the field. Um, I worked construction all through high school and college. So I was an outdoor person, love hiking, fishing, snorkeling, scuba diving, all types of outdoor activities. And as I, I didn't uh, see myself being stuck in a lab all the time. So I started talking with my wife and she um, was gonna start helping me look for opportunities. And she saw an ad in the local newspaper about the company Aquascape. And they were doing a talk at a local public library uh, the talk was actually given by Gary Whitstock, Greg's father, because Greg was still in college at the time. Uh, they were just doing a talk at a local library to educate um, people on backyard water features. Um, so I went there and just wanted to sit in the back of the class and kind of uh, hear what they had to say. And I was blown away by it. And what I was blown away by was the message of working with nature to create an aquatic ecosystem. So this was all the stuff that I learned in college about lakes, rivers, streams, reservoirs, and things like that. So I was kind of blown away that you could actually 
shrink it down and have that same function um, basically in a small scale setting. Uh, so I started talking with Aquascape and um, I was back in summer of 1993 and I guess I have been, been here ever since and I have designed and built projects all over the world. Um, I, have, uh, I have thousands of projects under my belt um, and the diversity is incredible. Everything from small little backyard biotype biotope type systems to massive multi-acre ponds, huge waterfalls. I've done stormwater management projects. Um, I have my name on a couple patents and things that we have at Aquascape for filtration systems. Um, I've done uh, rainwater capture systems in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. So uh, I do work at a lot of zoos and aquariums and you name it. So I actually, one of my recent zoo projects was for spotted hyenas. So, uh, so it's, uh, it's always something unique, that's for sure. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome. So I think I'd like to, I have a question, you know, about, you know, your way background, you know, when you were in high school, you know, what made you realize, like, what was sort of the turning point that said, man, I think I really want to study, you know, nature and animals. You know, it, it came easy to me. So I was always an outdoor person. Um, um, my parents, you know, uh, after school weekends and whatnot, I would disappear into the local woods, lakes, rivers, streams, and I would catch frogs and turtles and snakes and bring stuff home. And my parents were going to kill me because I was always covered in mud and I just wasn't, I was an outdoor kid. And uh, so it just came very easy to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was studying in, in school and I was, I met with my, um, uh, with one of my school teachers back in high school, uh, one of the counselors, and I just started talking about my love for biology and animals. He's like, well, you should probably pursue that. And we started going down that path of what, what I needed to do in high school to position myself to succeed in that. And like I said, it, it came very easy to me. Some of the other studies that I did um, you know, I struggled with because it, it's my mind wasn't wired like that, but anything from uh, uh, chemistry, geography, geology, um, physics, um, all that stuff was uh, came very easy to me. So, so biological sciences, you know, fit right in. Very cool. And, and let's talk about like sort of your college experience. What college did you go to? I went to Eastern Illinois University, which is um, just a smaller school just south of University of Illinois. Um, I chose it because uh, it had a smaller campus um, and I was looking more for that uh, kind of more personalized, uh, you know, teaching learning experience versus a massive, you know, massive college or university. So what was sort of, you remember like the class structures and, and, and how the classes worked? Like what was a, like your first year, you know, what was some of the first classes that you had to take to start off in that, that um, path? So some of the first classes was uh, what, uh, one of the classes that I loved was uh, just a life science class. Yeah. Um, so life sciences was just very general about biology and it was a lab type of a setting. Um, so it was learn at your own pace. So it was not a structured class where you had a teacher. Uh, you had to go in and you had to do all the learning on your own. And they just had different labs set up and you had to walk yourself through it and had to take a test at the end. And uh, it just was fun for me. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like heaven because in high school, it was very structured and regimented mm -hmm. where it's like, you show up at this time and do this. This was completely opposite. If you wanted to show up at six in the morning or 10 o'clock at night, that was an option for you. 
Um, so so I like that help. freedom. Um, and it was also because it was unstructured, it, it, um, it allowed everybody to learn and, and do it at their own pace. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. Great. Yeah. I, I feel like that, that would benefit a lot in more different college classes because, you know, doing things at your own pace helps you learn your capabilities and sort of, you know, how hard of a worker you are, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. I think yeah, that that's know, a really uh, great I, class structure. Yeah, it really was. And I know some students, um, you know, failed miserably in that mm -hmm. class because they were used to that specific structure and they didn't know how to, to do it. Um, but for me, it was just super easy and uh, I enjoyed it and I kind of breezed through it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if this is what college is going to be like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do well. So, so, uh, so I enjoyed it. And for extra credit, yeah. um, I was able to bring in capture um, insects and small animals and things like that and bring it, bring them in and do a full identification of those animals for extra credit. So I actually, uh, you know, got a 110% in the class because I did wow. all the extra credit and everything. I mean, it was just fun and easy. <laughs> so what were some of the projects that you would do other than the extra credit stuff in the class? Like, do you remember um, any projects so in particular that you liked? Yeah, you know what? And in that uh, in that field, yeah, I mean, we did lots of field studies. Um, yeah. So going out and actually doing seining of rivers, um, and we actually found um, as part of our team, we found a uh, a species of a darter. I don't know if you're familiar with freshwater fish, but um, the darters um, are a really really cool uh, family of fishes, and they look like they're tropical fish, like something you would find on a reef. I mean, just beautiful colorations and everything, uh, mm -hmm. interesting habits. And we actually found one in a river system that um, all the previous uh, past studies, they thought they were no longer in this area. So our, our, uh, our classroom was actually able to find that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, what else could you ask for as a biology person, but to mm -hmm. discover an animal that they thought was missing from Illinois. So it was really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, were there any other classes that you really enjoyed in college other than that first year? Yeah, you know what? I There, there were a lot, you know, um, uh, so there were, uh, you know, like uh, microbiology classes and things like that, where you were actually, um, you know, looking under microscopes for hours and hours and hours on end and identifying, you know, just microscopic animals that would live in basic pond water, um, you know, I identifying them and then looking at the, the different structures and, and uh, you know, just the, the incredible genetic diversity that was found. Uh, genetics classes where we did, um, you know, just crossbreeding fruit flies and, you know, just understanding how genetic processes work when you start taking animals with certain characteristics and you start crossbreeding them with each other. And then you could predict the number of uh, new species that would be born that would have certain characteristics that were, um, that would be found between the mother and the father. So that, you know, just interesting things. Uh, about the biological world, embryology class, where we're taking, um, looking at sections of, um, of embryos of animals, so you could actually see the development uh, inside of them, and actually looking at how um, humans develop compared to other animals. I mean, just the similarities when uh, we're in an embryonic state is, is unbelievable, you know, between uh, uh, everything from, um, uh, what would you even call it, um, uh, 
Uh, gosh, I'd have to go back into some of my old uh, my old college thoughts here. Uh, animals that would have bi bi um, radial symmetry, um, you know, so single celled animals. We actually have comparisons in our early phases of development um, to those same exact animals. So if you look at different stages of a human development, it's like you see all these different little things that would be found from single-celled animals to uh, frogs and pigs and everything. So it's like we share a lot of common ancestry, which is kind of fascinating to me. Um, hmm. Again, putting, putting uh, you, you know, faith and religion outside of it, it's just fascinating to, to look at. Uh, you know, it's just unbelievable to open up your eyes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Definitely out of my uh, sphere of knowledge. <laughs> I don't. I, I I love the outdoors, but when it comes to actual biology, I really don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Uh, so I salute you because I don't know if I'd be able to do that. You know that that's that's beyond my intelligence. I think when it comes to that sort of biology stuff. And uh, what 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 was your like favorite class? Like out of all those classes, you know, which one do you think that you look back on and, and have like the, the best memories about the, you learn um, the most? Pro probably just a, um, either biological oceanography, mm -hmm. um, or my ecology class. Um, what I loved about, um, about both of those. So I'll, I'll just talk about ecology. So, uh, ecology, if you break down the root word, um, it has uh, two forms. Uh, ecos or oikos would be Greek for the home, um, and ology is the study of. So biology is the study of living things. Um, so there's lots of prefixes that you can put together with it. So ecology means the study of the home, um, which is a relatively new biological science. It's only been around 150-ish years, I guess, modern ecology. Um, and what I think is unique about it up until uh, the time of traditional ecology, there were specialists. There, were, there would be an ichthyologist which would specialize just in the study of fish. Uh, there could be a phycologist which only studies um, algae. Uh, you know, there could be a water chemist that, st that studies just the water chemistry uh, things inside of the system. In ecologists, you almost have to be a jack of all trades you have to understand all these dis different disciplines. So if you're studying a lake ecosystem, you can't just study the fish, you can't just study the algae, you can't just study the water chemistry, you can't just study the geography. You have to be able to put all these different pieces together to see how they interact with, within one another because there is no such thing as something that lives on this planet without impacting something else. It's literally impossible. We all have an impact. Um, so ecologists kind of put that whole concept together and said, you know what, in order to really understand this fish, we have to understand what this fish eats and what eats it, what's found in the water, how the water chemistry, the latitude it's located in, et cetera, um, would impact the life, life uh, blood of that fish. So it kind of, that really opened up my mind to um, not being a specialist, but looking at everything in our world. And I think that it, that's still something that I, that I rely on today uh, when, I, uh, when I design water features, um, when I'm looking at uh, filtration designs, when I'm looking at animals and things like that, it has kind of changed the way I've really looked at everything. Yeah, I, I think like the, I don't want to say like the most famous, but the story I know when I think of like ecology and, and different things affecting, you know, different animals affecting other parts of the environment is I think in, um in, uh, oh my God, Yellowstone, right? They, sure. they introduced 
the gray wolf back into the population and it ended up affecting so many different things even the erosion of the the river yes yeah so i i remember hearing that and i'm like that's crazy like nature is just incredible yeah it 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 blows your mind oh, i know exactly the study that you're talking about and a uh, and and the the wolf in that um in that particular biome would be known as a keystone species so a keystone species um, has a huge impact on the overall environment, um, physical as well as all the other animals that live in and around it. So it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Well, uh, you know, let's talk about your overall college experience. I like to talk about college a lot <laughs> okay. with my guests because it's something that a lot of people go through, and and you know, I think it's a great learning experience. So yes. when you graduated college. What was the biggest thing that you took out of it? What was like the biggest experience or lesson that you took out of college? Uh, you know, um, good, good, really good question. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me was um, number one being, you know, leaving, leaving home, um, living on my own and succeeding in kind of a unique environment. So it really kind of pushes you um, in a way that I was never pushed before. Um, you know, just growing up in the south suburbs of Chicago, having parents, um, having routines and family life and things like that. So now all of a sudden you're you're put into this other environment of peers. So uh, mostly young people my age, um, uh, because of the sciences, I, I gravitated towards a lot of people that have like-minded thinking. So I, I made some great friends uh, in school that, I, that I'm still in touch with today. I actually had dinner with... Uh, um, a couple of our friends from college just on Saturday, a couple of days ago. And it, it's funny, you know, talking with Tom, you know, um, you know, he was talking about stories of the two of us going along the river systems and catching animals together and just doing goofy stuff. And mm -hmm. so I, I think the, the biggest takeaway for me is kind of uh, living on your own and really finding out who you are. Um, it, it really kind of transforms you. So I am one of five children in my family. So two older brothers, an older sister and a younger sister. Um, everybody, I was known as Quiet Eddie um, because all the other members in my family were, are very, very, they're, they're loud. They are big, big talkers. So people are like, oh, you know, Eddie is kind of quiet. I was a thinker. Um, but when I went, went away to school, um, I didn't have that family with me. So now I was able to actually grow as a person, not uh, um, people didn't have a preconceived notion of me and my family. Like where I grew up in the South suburbs, everybody knew each other. You know, it's like, like a lot of other parts, you know, it was, it's a smaller community and everybody knew me because of my older brothers and older sisters and stuff like that. So I was like the younger brother, kind of the one that was always covered in dirt and, you know, looking for animals and that type of stuff. But I was able to kind of grow on my own because I was separated from all of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's an incredible experience that um, you, it's priceless. I mean, it is truly, truly priceless to figure out who you are um, by living on your own and being in a, uh, an environment of lots of thinking and you know, looking at things outside the box and opens up your mind to new things. Um, and that really kind of shapes you who you will be for the rest of your life. Yeah. Do you, do you think that if you didn't go to college, I know this is kind of a tough question to answer, but if you didn't go to college, do you think that you would have still ended up in the same, you know, profession eventually? 
Hmm, that is a really uh, tough question to answer. I would like to say I would probably still end up where it is because I, I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, a, you know, a person that, you know, that believes in almost like a destiny and who you are. Um, so actually I have an interesting story about myself. You know, I, you asked me to introduce myself. So my full name is Edgar, uh, last name is Baloo. Um, and I, I love looking at root words of things. Like I was talking about ecology and where that comes from. Uh, my first name, Edgar, means protector of property. Uh, my last name, Baloo, means beautiful place. So it's almost like it was in my name. I'm the protector of beautiful place. Yeah, so I'm like a conservation person. I love designing things and I love educating people about our world because it's unbelievable. And that's kind of what I do with, uh, you know, my vlogs and things like that. I like to create these mini ecosystems. And I, I have a concept that I call H2O which obviously you're not a biology person, but everybody knows what H2O is, mm -hmm. it's water. But H2O to me stands for, stands for homes to oceans. So if you could understand a backyard small ecosystem, you could understand what's happening in our ocean um, because a lot of these processes are exactly the same. The scale is obviously completely different, but if you understand these little intricacies and these little backyard ecosystems, even a fish tank for all, for all that matter, um, it helps you understand our world and our world is aquatic based. So all of our weather patterns, everything that is driving the, the main driver on planet earth is actually aquatic. Uh, you know, the, um, the water, the chemistry inside of our blood matches the chemistry in the ocean like we have the same mixture of compounds and minerals like mm -hmm. like exact you know like it's like it's unbelievable so uh so i think that type of stuff is fascinating and there is unique things that happen happen with us um kind of biochemically when we get next to the ocean and when we get by water so there's all types of really and you live in rhode island so i'm sure to you it's second nature mm -hmm. um because you live on the in a coastal area but if you were to move to the middle of the country, you would probably feel something missing. You'd be like, something is off. And it's because you're away from water. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I love, I think, I think the Northeast and New England is probably one of the most beautiful places in the country. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very consistent landscapes, but um, you know, compared to like, you know, the Midwest or California or something like that. But um, I, I love the woods. I love, going in the middle of nowhere like my dad is from northern maine you know okay. we love going up there just driving through the woods and there's not anybody within you know <laughs> 10 15 miles of you if not more than that you know and you're in the middle of like a thousand acres of land or something like that and it's just you and nature but i also love you know i i love the ocean it's it's absolutely beautiful you know you go out here you know, during the summer or even now during the fall, some nights, it's just absolutely incredible. You know, the ocean is just incredible, you know? So I, I, I think New England's perfect for evenly balancing the outdoors and nature and the woods and also sort of ocean, ocean culture, you know, with the surfer dudes and, and whatnot <laughs> and, and like the conservationists in the woods. So I, I, I love, I love this area. I think, and I think like the perfect state in my opinion is New Hampshire. It has, you know, Rye, New Hampshire, which is like the upscale beach mm -hmm. sort of community. And then you go up into the white mountains and, 
you got the complete opposite. And it's crazy. You can get that in, in one state. And I, and I'm sure you can get that in other states, but I just feel like it's, it's a better community in my opinion, but that's awesome. I, yeah. I, uh, I, am with you actually. I, I love new England. Um, and New Hampshire is an incredible state. I have some good friends from there and I've built uh, several projects in and around New Hampshire and the diversity is unbelievable and just the natural beauty, but there's also kind of that um, inherent respect for nature and, mm -hmm. you know, an understanding of it, which obviously rings true to me. Yeah. I mean, in Rhode Island, it's crazy because a lot of people think about how populated it is. I live in Southern Rhode Island. Okay. So we live right across the street from a preserve that's that was 800 acres last year. Now it's a thousand acres. Wow. We have uh, there's a, a Acadia uh, Park, which is I'm not exactly sure how large that is, but that's over, you know, a little bit, I guess, like uh, like west of us. And it's a large park. And then we have um, another place in in the same town that's got a lot of acreage and it's woods and it's camping. So it, Southern Rhode Island and, and parts, some parts of like Northwestern sort of Rhode Island, like if you know the state foster area is very wooded. It's okay. just, it's just like Providence and all like those areas, Warwick where the airport is, is just yep. so heavily populated. But then when you get into like the outskirts of the state, it's much nicer. Sure. you know so it, it's it's but the, the biggest difference is compared to new hampshire where that would be an hour away it's 25 minutes away <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> you know so even maine it's like you know like my grandparents live like an hour away from the nearest walmart <laughs> you wow. know oh my like gosh. Yeah. I, that's such a first world problem but like yes. it's crazy you know we live uh, 10 miles from a Walmart, you're not even, you know, yeah. and it's just a quick drive down route one, you know, and you're there, but for them, it's like, all right, pack a lunch. Trip. We're out for the day. <laughs> we got to go to Walmart. <laughs> um, but wow. yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff. And yeah, I just love nature, but uh, yeah. So let's get into, you know, you had mentioned right after you graduated college, yes, this, this career that you had gotten into, you're working at a lab. So if you could expand upon a little bit about that uh, job, that would sure. be cool. Sure. Yeah. So I was, it was a recycling facility. So um, it's located in East Chicago, Indiana. So it's just on the, on, on, uh, the other border from Chicago and an industrial park area. So we would get in truckloads of um, waste products from a variety of different industries. And what I would do in the lab is I would have to test the different waste products. And what we would do is we would blend them together to create a secondary fuel source for curing concrete. So concrete needs to be, um, you have to heat up uh, the limestone um, to break down the, the calcium carbonate out of it to create lime, which you actually make concrete from. Um, but it's, it's heavily, um, it needs a lot of resources. It needs a lot of fuel in order to do that. And that can get expensive. So what we did was we took in industrial waste. So there were companies that had to pay us to take a waste product away. We would then take that material and sell it as a secondary fuel source. So we were kind of a middleman, but we were testing everything because it had to meet certain EPA requirements um, from heavy metals, uh, PCBs, 
um, different types of uh, harmful compounds and things like that that could be found inside of this, even after it was burned. Um, so I, I was responsible. I, I was one of the lab people, and we would take in solid as well as liquid materials. Um, and I would just run a whole battery of tests on all these different samples. Um, and then we would uh, give the green light to this truckload of stuff that we would say we would accept it or we might actually decline it and say, we can't take this material. Um, and then once it was blended, we would then test it again and then it would be sold as a fuel source. So I thought it was, it, it, um, it was very interesting because going through college, taking chemistry classes, it's very, it's a lot of theoretical things. You know, you're testing, uh, you know, for a variety of stuff, whatever it might be, but working in a lab and actually seeing real world applications, it's like, oh, okay, this is why I learned this. And here's how this makes sense. And then, and then I had an incredible lab manager who was uh, very, very patient um, and very knowledgeable. Um, so he, um, you know, just took me under his wing and taught me uh, just kind of the ins and outs and everything. And actually I was offered um, a higher position to become a new lab manager because they were expanding. And that's kind of when it hit me where I, I kind of realized I should probably leave because if I stayed there, I probably would have been stuck. Not that mm. it's a bad job. It's just, it just, it wasn't a job for me. Some people love lab work and they could do that stuff all day long. To me, once I learned the battery of tests, I, I, I kind of plateaued. I'm like, oh, there isn't any more. It's like, this is all we're testing for. Um, so I, I, I saw myself kind of getting bored with it. Um, and I'm like, it was going to be too routine. So I was looking for something a little bit more research-based mm. out in the field, more of a faster pace and, you know, where things would change on a regular basis. And that's really the construction industry in general is, is, is uh, very unique and challenging. Um, and, you know, like STEM learning right now is very popular, science, technology, engineering, and math. What, uh, what I believe we have with water feature construction is, is STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. So we have to create beautiful, fully functioning aquatic ecosystems in a wide variety of geographic locations that are exposed to the environment and exposed to um, heavy precipitation and stormwater runoff. And we have a wide variety of animals living in them. And those animals have specific requirements. So we really have to put all these different things together to make it work. So I, I think it's just super fascinating. And it's and the diversity is just it's it's it has never gotten old for me and i've been doing it since 1993 so it's just like always something unique that, that's really what i love about it yeah steam that's awesome uh yeah <laughs> so it, it's interesting because i meet a lot of different people and when i was in college i was in college for a few semesters earlier this year i actually dropped out and it's interesting to hear everybody's different experiences with college and their plan for their life, right? And you always hear the typical nine to five sort of story, right? Mm -hmm. Wait, so that first job, would you describe that as a quote unquote nine to five job? Like, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was nine to five. So I, I feel like a lot of people just get used to it and deal with it. But people like you and people like Greg, and I like to think people like me can't stand just doing the same thing every day over and over and over <laughs> and over and over again for right. some people 30 40 years right 
you know, so you get stuck and you're doing that for 30, 40 years. And sure, you, you make good money, you retire, and then uh, that's it, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's, it's sort of depressing, but that's a reality for a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And to hear you say that is really inspirational because you decided to make a change. You went into a career path that you enjoyed and you knew that it wasn't going to be the same thing every day. I mean, how many times have you built the same pond twice? You right. know, never. It, 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 it's impossible. I could yeah. literally build one and take it apart using the same parts and it would not be the same thing. It would, yep. it would look and function differently. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, that's, that's sort of like the core, one of the core aspects of this podcast is to make people realize that you don't have to do something like that. You can do what you do. You are in a position, sure, you're making good money, but for a lot of people, especially for me, it's not all about the money. It's about waking up in the morning and looking forward to what you're going to do that day. Completely agree. Next week, um, I I took a pay cut when I came on with Aquascape. So I was working in a, as a, a a white collar lab technician. um, And all of a sudden I'm, aquascape when i started was tiny like we were mm-hmm. working in a maybe a a, a a building twice the size of my office i mean yeah <laughs> you know, yeah we literally a 20 by 20 garage yep. you know we had a couple people we didn't have a lot of sales and now we're in a quarter million square feet we have two hundred fifty thousand. that square feet building under, is insane yeah it's, it's unbelievable <laughs> i mean talk about steam and art like yes. that building just watching. So for those of you listening, look up the Aquascape land building, right? Aquascape is it Aqualand? Aqualand. Aqualand. Yes. Aqualand. Yeah. Look that up on Google. Insane. You have geese living on the roof. <laughs> like, <We do> <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's awesome. But uh, yeah. So explain, let's get into, you know, sort of your position at okay. Aquascape. So yep. explain your, your title and what your main responsibilities are. Okay, so I am Vice President of Field Research and Contractor Development. So when I started, uh, let me go back to where I started. I started as a laborer when I started mm-hmm. with Greg um, because he was in charge of everything. He didn't have really a foreman. He was the owner, he was the foreman, he was designer, sales, everything. So I came in under him and he started teaching me. And then um, I allowed him the flexibility to pull himself out of the day-to-day construction. And I was able to take that over because I came from a construction background. My two brothers had a small construction business. So all through high school and college, I, I was out in the field. I was building decks and small renovation projects and things. So I, I was handy. Um, so I, I gave Greg that flexibility. So in that time, um, I then took over all of our construction division. Um, and I ran that for many, many years with my wife. Um, she actually became HR director here at Aqualand. She was a teacher. Um, but she came on full-time with, at uh, Aquascape as well. Um, but uh, I kind of branched off from the construction. And now I focus on um, research, vlogs. I work with product development. Um, I work with our marketing team, um, coming up with new products, new marketplaces, um, rainwater capture systems, recreational ponds that people could swim in, stormwater management systems. So I'm kind of on the fringe of what Aquascape does. Our, our main business is backyard aquatic ecosystems. So I'm always on that outside fringe looking for um, some of those newer things, cutting edge technologies. And then once I find it, I'll bring it in house and we'll try to fine tune it. We may modify it a little bit 
and I'll work with our product development team. And then um, we'll go through the process of actually creating entire new products or going after completely new marketplaces for this new piece that we created. Um, as part of that, the contractor development component. So we sell to thousands and thousands of contractors around the world. So one of my one of my, the things that I do because I'm known as the pond professor, I like to teach. I like to educate people on how we do things, why we do things, and all the history. Um, a lot of people might look at some of the stuff we have and say, "So why do you do that?" And I'm like, "Well, the reason I do that is because of the 25 years of." product development and changes. And I, may, I, I was able to fine tune this one piece over constant trial and error. I know it works. I've used it now thousands of times and it's gonna work. If it works for me, it's gonna work for you. So I try to teach contractors how they could succeed using some of our products and technologies. So that's really kind of what I do. It's, an, it's kind of an educational outreach in a lot of different formats of social media. We have our own Aquascape Academies here, which is a, 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 um, a pre-recorded educational series. Um, and some of the, the longest modules of learning are ones that I've created because there's so much depth. Uh, you know, it's like, I mean, when you really start to boil things down uh, to the nitty gritty on things, it's like, you could have multiple PhD degrees and just aquatic sciences. So it's like, it, it's, there's so much information out there. Um, so the stuff that I teach, I try to go into uh, the ecology um, of ponds and water chemistry. Um, and I talk about um, pumping systems and flow rates and hydraulics and logistics and the art of boulder placement and where do you find boulders and how do you specify projects. So I try to help people go through that learning curve um, where it may have taken us decades to get to where we are. We want to shorten that time period for new people coming into the business. We want to allow people to succeed more quickly and efficiently. So we share very openly all of our successes as well as our failures. You know, you mm -hmm. can learn a heck of a lot from, from both. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. show people what went wrong and why it went wrong and say, this is what you need to do to protect yourself moving forward. So that's kind of, again, I know it's, it's, it's very generic, but what I do, it, it's hard to, I have a unique position here in the, in the company. So it's, um, you know, next to, uh, uh, you know, Greg Whitstock, you know, where he's promoting, um, you know, this lifestyle to everybody. And I'm kind of on the back end trying to educate more on the lifestyle. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you have multiple responsibilities sort of, I mean, you're not just an employee, you're, you helped build the company really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I did. So back in those early days of development. Um, so Greg, uh, as an entrepreneur, like he would just look at a project and he would say, I'm going to sell this for $10,000. And then he would say, okay, Ed, you go sell one. And I'm like, I don't even know how to, how did, how did you even price that? He's like, well, <laughs> I just know how many rocks and how much this and how much that. And I'm like, so he was like a, like a chef just throwing all these different things together. He knew what it took, but he couldn't quantify it. So what I started doing was after he would sell a project, um, I started to write all the, the details down because I have a science background and I came from a lab. I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna learn this business, I would ask him questions. I'm like, okay, 
how much, how many square feet of EPDM liner did we use? And how many tons of rock did this project take? And what pump did we use? And so I would start asking these questions. So I started to quantify a lot of these pieces and parts. And I came up with um, different formulas for designing and estimating. So it made my job easier where it was more science versus just off the cuff of your hand saying, oh, this is $10,000. I'm like, actually, it should be $10,750 and here's why. So I would kind of break it all down for people and it made it easier for me to understand. But those are those calculations and those different things that I quantified. We created a, a book called the Pond Builders Bible. So all that stuff is written in there. Our Aquascape Academy is based on all those just old calculations that I had to do to honestly survive. Um, but um, by doing that, it opened us up to being able to share that information with new people. Interesting. So I, I know we've talked a lot about college, but I just have like another question about that. So, you know, you've been at Aquascape for almost 30 years now, you said 1993. Yep. So as you have worked- Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Max here. I just wanted to tell you that I recently got my real estate license in the state of Rhode Island. So if you're interested in buying or selling a house in the state of Rhode Island, please contact me at maxwillett.kw.com. That's M-A-X-W-I-L-L-E-T-T dot K-W dot com. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Did Aquascape. What? sort of things have you said, you know, you, you could point your finger at it and say, Hey, if I didn't have my college degree, or if I didn't go to college, I wouldn't have known this and it would have affected something. Is there any experience that you can think of? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely the depth of understanding of, uh, of just biology in general. So I was, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, biology came easy to me in high school and I, I always was reading things. Um, but actually, it gave me the credibility and credentials, actually, to go and speak to um, architects, engineers, people that were much higher, have much higher uh, um, PhD degrees and much higher training and, you know, knowledge than I do. But I can now come to them and say, so here was my training. Here's what I understand. And, and I would explain it in a different way. So it's kind of it's allowed me to open up doors. Um, into areas that I don't think I would have been able to get open. Um, so I, I, I've had some pretty good successes with, uh, with, with um, in, in public speaking engagements and things like that with, uh, with some of these other groups. Great. So we're going to get into like, like a little bit of the technology, you know, bit, but I have another question about, not another question, but a question about like onboarding a company, you know, that wants to build Aquascape ponds. So we brushed over a little bit when Greg was on, but if you could talk a little bit more in detail about, all right, so let's say there's a landscaper in Rhode Island that wants to start building ponds mm -hmm. and they want to be, is it Aquascape certified or something Correct. along those lines? Okay. Yeah, so can you explain Aquascape that process? Contractor. That process? Yep. Yeah. Um, so what the process is, is um, you would contact us directly, talk with one of our sales representatives and they would um, send you some links to our Aquascape University, which is going to be a series of free classes. 
So there are several free courses that you could look at and see if you really want to explore it. So no cost, you go through and you learn a little bit about ecology, you learn about what the business of, uh, of water features is, et cetera. So, you know, we walk you through a few things. Then if you want to pursue it more, um, you could take all the Aquascape University classes. Um, so you could get certified and there's like, you get badges for different classes that you take. Once you go through all the different classes, um, you have to build three projects of your own. So you could only, we, we definitely believe wholeheartedly, you could only learn so much online, videos, you know, textbooks, reading, et cetera. It's like, you have to get your hands dirty. So we're like, okay, so once you go through the classes, that's great, that's a good start. But now you actually have to get your hands dirty. You're going to build three different projects and you're gonna take pictures of it and then you're gonna show it to us. We will then evaluate it with our technical team internally and we'll say, we'll give feedback and say, okay, you did this properly, you did this wrong, you need to work on this, et cetera. So we'll kind of give a little bit of coaching. Um, uh, once you go through all of that, then you could submit those uh, for your certification along with your classes. You have to submit some, um, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you have to get feedback from some of your customers. Uh, so you have to kind of- Testimonials? Uh, testimonials. Yeah. So you have to submit some testimonials and customer surveys um, because we believe in order to be a builder, you can't just, I mean, it's one thing to be good at designing and building, but if you want to have it as a business, you have to be able to sell it. You have to have customer service skills. You have to be able to follow up with your customers. You have to have good, um, you know, a good demeanor about you. So we'll teach you some of these things because a lot of people um, that, that become landscapers, honestly, I have a lot of friends and people that I've known through the industry, they just started in high school. They just started cutting grass and raking leaves and, you know, you know, pushing snow or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden it became a business. It doesn't mean you're necessarily a good business person. Like it, it fell into your lap. So what we want to do is we want to train a pond builder to not only be good at designing and building the ponds, but you have to give um, all the other services necessary because we want to set somebody up that's going to be successful for decades to come because that's truly where because a pond once it's built it still needs a little bit of maintenance the customer might need troubleshooting you know there, there's going to be constant you know uh, work moving forward so the lifetime value of a customer is actually very high you don't just sell a project for ten thousand dollars and walk away if you do it's kind of foolish because there's upgrades and that you could sell plants and fish and, you know, outdoor furniture. And I mean, there's a lot of pieces that go with it. So a $10,000 project could turn into $50,000 of lifetime value over 25 years. So we teach people about the importance of all that. Um, so we want to find co um, contractors that kind of are similar, have, have a similar view uh, to that philosophy, because once we, we find that, uh, that common similarity between us, then we know that person will do well. And we want to set somebody up that's going to be able to service a market effectively. Interesting. All right, cool. So now let's get into the technology behind these ponds that you build. So yeah. I like to, I think a good starting point was you had mentioned it a little earlier about the patents you have on mm -hmm. particular products that you guys sell or, or use in ponds. Yes. So I think that would be a good starting point. So why don't you explain 
those different products and the patents. So have. we we have a wide variety of products. Some of them are patented. Some of them are not. Um, we don't pursue patents as much as we used to. Um, mm -hmm. Early on, we thought that was very very valuable, but we kind of quickly realized that if you have a patent on something, somebody could probably get around it <laughs> unless you're really do a lot of work mm. to create something that is uh, that that no one could break. But with our technology, we try to keep things basic. Um, so uh, they're design type patents for usage specific usages. Um, but again, it gives us credibility. It, it, it gives us a good starting point with things. So uh, when, when I started with the company, there was no professional products available. So it didn't exist. So if you wanted to design and build a pond back in 1993, um, you were going to be buying pieces and parts from Home Depot, um, from you know home improvement stores, pumps and piping, you are going to possibly buy maybe a filtering system for a big aquarium. So you were going to be creating this Frankenstein of all these different weird things, and you were going to try to make it work. Um, so what we did was we came up with a series of different models, and then we started mass producing them. So we created them initially for ourselves. And then what happened was we would design a beautiful feature in the early 90s and a landscape contractor would come in and start planting around it or do a patio by it. And he would ask us, he's like, oh my gosh, this, this skimmer box thing that you guys put for this pond, where could I buy one of these? Um, I have a customer who has a pond and they have a maintenance issue. And he's like, I think this skimmer that you've created out of a garbage can. I mean, we were making them out of garbage cans originally. He's like, I think I could make this work for this other customer. And we'd be like, well, you probably can. We could sell you one. Um, but then we realized, well, how do we sell it to him without educating him on how to install it? So that's kind of where our catalog business actually started. So we started um, seeing a bigger, bigger marketplace where we could actually start um, mass producing pieces and parts, skimmer filters, pre-filter type things that house pumps. Uh, we start, we've manufactured our own pumps now for many, many years. We have biological filters. We have rainwater catchment systems um, and everything we do, again, we, we learned early on with this, um, we tried to make it modular. So the reason we went with modular is, um, it's kind of, a, are you familiar um, with fractals, the concept of a fractal? Uh, not really, no. So fractals, you, if you look up online, you will you could see like blood vessels of the human body and how they kind of branch out and how, okay. the, how fine they yep. are. They kind of mimic um, uh, the veins in a tree. Um, you know, like if you were to take a leaf apart, you would see very similar looking things. If you were to fly over the United States and look at a river system, it would look very similar as well. So a fractal is expanding geometry. So you can make something really big or really small, but it actually looks and acts very similar. So that concept uh, we started putting into practice many years ago. And the reason being by being modular and being fractals, we could expand or contract it according to the different designs. So once you understand how to install, I'm just gonna say a hundred square foot section you could, but you could install a thousand square feet, a hundred thousand square feet. You're going to use the same concepts, and it's going to be able to to move back and forth with that. So that's what I that's what I love about it, and and like I, I talk about it as being modular. I mean, there's still tons of art, and there's lots of other designs that go in with it. But if you could understand 
those concepts, the circulation system, the pumping system. So I always kind of, you know, kind of um, uh, um, compare things to the human body. A pump is just like our heart. Our heart is a pump. It pumps nutrients and everything through our entire body. It makes our bodies work. The pump for a water feature is extremely important. You want to have one that is designed to run 365 days a year. You don't want to buy a sump pump from Home Depot. It's not going to last that long um, because it's the heart of the system. If the pump goes down, the entire circulatory system goes down. If the circulatory system goes down, the system's going to crash. The fish are going to die. You're going to have a huge ecological crash inside of the system. So I like to um, uh, try to, I use bio, biomimicry concepts where we're modeling after natural ecosystems. We're modeling after the human body, um, you know, how our kidneys work and our liver. You know, it's like we have built-in filters inside of our body. You know, these, these are our liver and our kidneys that expel waste from us. Same way I'm going to design a filter system. I have a circulation system. I have filter media. Uh, the filter media is home to all types of little microorganisms that are same things that are found inside of our intestines. You know, I mean, they, they, they're uh, responsible for the processing of nutrients in our own personal body. We have more, we have more cells in us that are not us than are ours, if that makes sense. So we have more microorganisms, single-celled animals living inside of us that make up a huge biome in our body that's unbelievable on our skin, mucous membranes, uh, all throughout our entire body. And it's the same thing with an, an, an aquatic ecosystem. We're going to put a specific mixture of um, microbes inside of our ecosystem that will populate every square inch of the ecosystem. If we didn't do that, nature would put it in for us. The problem is we can't control it as, as much. Mm -hmm. Like if nature puts it in for us, it could be those, those, those little microorganisms could be coming in from a, a septic system. It could, it, it could cause a crash or something we don't want to have happen in the ecosystem. So I always put in specific blends of microorganisms that will populate and give me consistent results. So these are... Um, and I don't know if I want to probably went off on a big tangent there, but that's okay. <laughs> the, the stuff that we have is so intertwined in so many different things. It's hard to pull different little pieces and parts out, um, to, to discuss them, but to get back to your question and what we've created, um, a modular system, you know, where all the, the parts are designed to work as a, as a unit. Um, you could still use them individually, but you're not going to get the same results. Again, go back to baking. You know, it's like if you're following a recipe and you leave out flour, you know, in a cake, it's not going to be the same. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. not going to taste the same. It's not going to look, it's not going to act the same. So it's like we, we have specific formulas for success and everything that we've created has been modular and you're able to pick and choose how to put it together. So would you say the technology that you guys embed into your pools is what sets you apart from your competition? Uh, it is. Well, I think it's our technology, but it's also our education. So our competition, mm. we're the only ones that are actually have a full-time design, build, research arm of our business. So that's how we okay. started. So we are intimately, um, we intimately understand all the, the inner workings of everything because we do it on a daily basis. So everything that we sell has been proven internally before we put it to market. 
So I think that's really what sets us apart, as well as that knowledge of how all the different pieces and parts work. We're not just going to sell a widget for the sake of selling something. We're only going to sell it if it has an integral um, piece of the overall whole. Otherwise, don't install it. Don't waste your money. So we just want to boil it down to those basic needs that you need to make this function. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, I, yeah, I've never actually... I've sort of done some research on like the pond building industry. I've never came across a uh, country, a company quite like Aquascape. Mm -hmm. um, I know a local uh, fish tank company, uh, actually the first ever episode of this podcast, his name's Kurt Harrington. He actually knows. I know Greg. Kurt I don't know very you... well. Okay. You know, Kurt. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. great guy, great yes. company, something yep. fishy, um, you know, just an amazing business model. I wish he still built ponds because that'd be pretty cool to go see those uh but yeah that's I've known okay Kurt for, for 20 years probably at least yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah he's great everybody knows him as the fish guy around here so you got the, yes. the pond guy the fish guy and the pond professor on the podcast now so that's <laughs> oh, i think that's nice. quite an awesome lineup <laughs> but uh yeah so uh i think a neck a great next step would be sort of explaining some builds that you've done you know, you've mentioned when we first started that you've done over, you know, thousands of yep. builds. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should also talk a little bit about the YouTube channel as well. Yeah. So let's start off, you know, when did the YouTube channel come into fruition? I know Greg has one, you have yep. one, and then there's uh, like a Team Aquascape YouTube channel as well. Not a hundred percent sure of the name of the gentleman who runs that one, but um Brian. Brian. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very cool. So if you could explain sort of, let's start with the YouTube channel, you know, what is the purpose of having the YouTube channel? So um, the pond professor cha professor channel is to educate people on um, the why behind everything. So mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a how to video on how to build a pond, but it's like, why would you install this type of a pump? Why would you have a biological filter? Why would you install a pre-filter? So I want to teach people um, and let them understand why all these different pieces and components are important and how they fit into the whole. Um, and there still is some of that how as well. So I'm going to show showcase step-by-step step as well. But I, I think that was really what kind of separates it. So, um, you know, the, the, the biology, the microorganisms, you know, the importance of uh, the, the flow rates and dissolved oxygen rates and why all these different things are important. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into, I mean, there's a lot of different builds. All right. So <laughs> let's start with like, the first build, you know, when you joined Aquascape, what was the first projects that project that you worked on? Um, I worked on a small project with Greg, and it was uh, actually the very first one was basically a filter installation on a pond that he had already built. So mm -hmm. I was coming in and I was going to work side by side with him and hook up the pump, the plumbing and this new uh, biofilter system. Um, and then we were going to create this little waterfall and we were going to plant it up with different types of aquatic vegetation. And if I were to look back at it on today, um, it would be hideous. <laughs> I would not be happy with it. At the time, it was unbelievable. I was blown away by it. And uh, the customer loved it because um, 
YouTube was not available. There was not, mm. you, you couldn't go to the internet. You couldn't go to all these different sites and see what one of these systems would look like. It just, it wasn't common knowledge. So when we would create a waterfall for somebody, they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And if I look back at it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, what were we thinking about? It? <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. But at the time it was cutting edge. And now we've just learned so much, you know, light years ahead of all that stuff because of we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it again and changing it and tweaking it and understanding the flow rates and the pipe diameters and how the water gets distributed. And so you start to understand all these different pieces. And that's really what I like to talk about in, in the blogs is kind of that understanding of all those different things. All right. Very cool. So sort of, I mentioned this before we started recording, but the first time I'm pretty sure I'm, you know, probably got introduced to your channel before this, but uh, Andrew Flair, yes. the YouTuber, part of the Guggen squad. Yes. Uh, love that whole, you know, it gets into like the outdoorsy part. I love all that content. Yep. So I think that'd be a good starting point for explaining a few builds. So sure. I, I have a few written down here and that's one of the first ones. Okay. So explain that situation, you know, how you guys came across each other and then the build. So we came across each other. It was, um, there were a bunch of people that follow him on his channel. Um, he was talking one day at his new property. He's saying, I want to build a pond. I want to have a small you know, pond that I could have bass in and that type of stuff. And he created his own and it didn't work that well. He didn't so really look he that good. Talking about it. Yeah, it was just not functioning and no. the water was green and he didn't have the right pumping system. So yeah. a bunch of people said, hey, you got to talk to the pond guy. You got to talk to Ed, the pond professor. These guys could help you fix it. Um, so he contacted us and said, hey, a bunch of people mentioned your name. Could you help with this pond? So I was actually, uh, so his home is out on the far Western edge of Iowa. And I was actually designing a project in Omaha, Nebraska, hour and a half, two hours from his current home. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be out there in that area in the next few weeks. I can come by and take a look at it. So I did that. I was out in Nebraska. I was doing design work for a big project. And then I drove uh, an hour and a half away to his home. And I met him and his videographer and his team. And he showed me his pond. And I'm like, I, I, we can fix this in a day. I mean, literally, I'm going to come in, though. I'm just going to rip the whole thing out and we'll start over from scratch because it's a lot easier mm. than doing that Frankenstein model. It's a lot easier for me to put all the things together that I know will work versus trying to put band-aids and pieces and parts into something that I Absolutely. might not be able to fix all the way. Yeah, no, that, that's that's really interesting because I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I have a 3D printing company. And I do a lot of design work. And a lot of okay. times when a customer comes to me with a file or something, they're like, hey, can you change this? I'm like, you know, it's probably just better. And it's probably more cost efficient for me to just go and start over. Yep. Instead of trying to edit something <laughs> somebody already designed, it's just easier for me to start over. Yes. So I, it's, that's very interesting to hear the contrast between pond building and designing stuff on a computer through CAD. That's yep. really interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, very, very similar. So yeah, that makes all the difference in the world. And and our customers are paying us to have to get specific results. Mm -hmm. And if I were to put pieces and parts together, I can't guarantee it because I don't know how it like there could be something off. And then all of a sudden I'm gonna second guess it and I'm gonna be like, darn it, I knew I shouldn't have done that. You know, it's mm -hmm. like it's gonna come back and get me. So it's not worth it, especially when you have a, a warranty. 
You know, yeah. we guarantee you're going to have a successful feature. You're going to have clear water. Everything's going to function. You're going to have healthy fish. So if something doesn't function, it's going to come back to me and I'm going to have to fix it. Very cool. All right. So I think the next good uh, video is to talk about your most, one of your, your, I think it is your most recent one. And it's the um, uh, Oxalotl. Uh, ox- okay. Axolotl. Right. Yes. Axolotl. Okay. I knew I was yes. going to have trouble pronouncing that word, even though it's a very simple word, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's actually a, a tank, right? It is. So it's a huge tank. It's yeah. six feet long, two, uh, two and a half feet wide, two feet tall. So it's actually the size of some small ponds that I would build. It is indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, so the axolotl, really unique animal. I remember studying them in college. Um, and it was because of their regenerative properties. Like you can cut a leg off of an axolotl. Not that I would recommend doing that. But if it <laughs> lost a leg, it would grow back. So they have incredible, like, it's some like, we could learn a lot, you know, talking mm. about biomimicry and learning from nature. It's like we could learn from a lot of these animals and try to understand these healing processes. But anyway, I don't want to get into that. The axolotl, really, really cool animal. Um, it is an aquatic uh, salamander. It doesn't um, go through the metamorphic process to become a land animal. It stays aquatic. So most salamanders have an aquatic form um, that look very similar to the axolotl. They have these external gills, they swim around, but then eventually they will crawl out of the water and become a salamander and they live in damp locations. So the axolotl stays fully aquatic. Um, really cool species from Mexico. We wanted to create a uh, living ecosystem that was going to be low maintenance, but was also going to be beautiful as well as functional uh, for Jamie and her pet axolotl. So um, I used a lot of this, the exact same technology and concepts. You know, I talked about fractals, expanding geometry. I used the exact same concepts I would use on a massive pond. I just shrunk it down. I put in a pumping system with a pre-filter. I put in a biological filter. So I have a recirculatory system. I'm sending the water through um, a filter media that I'm going to put microorganisms inside. Those microorganisms are going to consume waste and they're going to consume oxygen at the same time. This is why I have a waterfall on the outfall. It helps to reoxygenate the water. I'm going to add aquatic plants and vegetation because all these plants and vegetation will further break down nutrients inside the pond. And you're going to get this beautiful, you know, plant growth because of microscopic, you know, parts per billion of dissolved nutrients in the water that is generated from waste from that animal. So again, the biomimicry concept of just creating this own, it's, it's like literally its own microcosm of life. You know, it's a mini world that's happening inside of there. And we could kind of create it any way we want to, as long as we make sure that we have the right parts in place. So I, I love it because it's um, building a map. It, it's actually, it was almost more difficult for me to shrink it down and make a functioning system small. Uh, it was almost more difficult than making a acre size lake is the acre size lake is much more resilient to um, water chemistry ch- changes because you have a million gallons of water. This thing has 150, I forget what exactly it was, 150 or 200 gallons of water. So um, that's going to have more pH swings and dissolved oxygen swings because the volume is smaller. Um, so I had more challenges with that than I did on some massive, massive projects, honestly. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's gonna, it's, yeah, it's, it is interesting. And again, I, I'm an animal person. So designing and building for specific animals is just, is just awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, all right. So another build 
uh, St. Augustine, Florida, uh, alligator pond. Yes. So I, I, I actually have that video up right now. I was watching it before. Um, but if you could explain that whole experience, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So St. Augustine alligator farm, actually, we're talking to them right now about, um, possibly doing a filtering system for gosh, it's their, their main lagoon. It's multiple acres. It has, I, I forget the number hundreds hundreds and hundreds of alligators living inside of it so we are just it's crazy yeah i mean it's just nuts wouldn't want to fall in that pond (laughs) wouldn't want to go swimming in there (laughs) and they brought me inside of it which was kind of funky so i'm like so we're gonna go inside of this thing and they're like yep they're like just stand behind me so i'm there with the trainer and he's basically got like a, a staff that he kind of puts in front of himself um and it would be so if the alligators came they would just run into it and it would stun them and then we would be able to get away i'm like so that's it he's like that's all we're gonna like okay so we had to go into this enclosure with hundreds of hundreds of alligators giant giant animals and we had to look at the spot where this filter was going to go and that type of stuff so but that that was not the build that we did um so saint augustine alligator farm we did two different projects um, one was a smaller ecosystem style pond, um, which was going to be, uh, um, I believe it's home to, uh, to some different species of birds. And then we did a larger system that has a big wetland filtration system. And it was uh, for, a, um, uh, for a banded lizard um, from the southwest. Um, so yeah, just two, uh, you know, completely unique projects. The scale of them was definitely uh, different. One of them was, you know, 10,000 gallons. The other was 500 gallons of water. Uh, but logistical challenges of working down in Florida, uh, we hit groundwater. Um, so we had to put in a special drainage system underneath, uh, you know, the pond to alivi- uh, eliminate some of that excess groundwater. Um, we have intense sun. Uh, we have heat. We have uh, um, high amounts of rainfall that come into uh, those areas. So Hurricane Ian that just went through dumped a ton of rain in that area. So whenever I'm designing in that uh, Florida region, I have to be able to compensate for all of that rainwater and how is it gonna impact the ecosystem and how are we going to manage all that excess water because it could throw off the biology of, of a system. So these are all things that we had to think about throughout the entire process. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, I think the last design we'll talk about is, uh, Camp Keenan pond. Yes. So if you want to go ahead and talk about that one, that'd be cool. So, uh, I've done a, actually I talked to Kenan two days ago. So he is, um, actually treating, uh, he's got a sick turtle, not deadly sick, but it has a fungus. So he was, um, we were talking about salt treatments, but different discussions. So great guy done. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six different project at Camp Kennan uh, in South Florida um, for Cayman alligators, for uh, Asian water monitors, uh, for, um, for, for turtles, for uh, what else do we have? Um, cichlid fish. So we have all these different crazy exotic animals. Um, it was, uh, he is an incredible guy, wealth of knowledge, but because of what he does and his big, um, uh, thing is he wants to educate people on these incredible exotic animals. So he wanted, he wanted to create, when we first met with him, he didn't want to be like a traditional zoo. He's like, I don't want to have just a cage where I have a bucket of water for this animal to swim in. 
He's like, I want to create an ecosystem, which really I loved. I'm like, okay, I could do this. So we created, you know, ecosystems for his tortoises where they could actually walk into shallow water and the tortoises will drink out of one section. And then he has turtles and fish in the upper section. So it's literally a whole biome that has multiple species using one aquatic ecosystem. Um, he lets his water monitor actually out in his large recreational pond to hunt uh, the, the, water, the native water snakes and native frogs that are found. So this is literally, it's like going to a National Geographic and you're actually seeing these animals as they were designed in nature, how they're actually gonna interact in nature, which you don't find at a lot of, lot of zoological institutions. Like they wanna compartmentalize. Like Kenan is like, I wanna, you know, just put the right pieces and parts together and let nature take over, um, which was really, really cool. So there are obviously things that we had to take into consideration, the power of the animals. Um, we have to resist them from digging through stuff and we have to protect our pumping system and our pipes and things like that. But um, the ecosystems themselves are, are basically the same. I increased the filtration um, because these animals have high amounts of waste. I mean, when you're doing a, uh, a pond that has caiman alligators in it and you're feeding it X amount of pounds of fish and animals, that, that creates a lot of nitrogen waste that goes into the water. It needs to be managed. If it's not managed properly, the water quality is gonna crash. And if the water quality crashes, it might not kill a caiman alligator, but it might make them sick. Um, you know, like they need to live in pristine water. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. they would be found in in nature. Again, biomimicry, I'm, I'm going to look at like the habitat of a caiman alligator and say, okay, we want to recreate this little jungle pool environment that has clean, clear water and create, we create like a little upflow spring type of a system. So, you know, I, I love and every single project we've done with Kenan has been totally, totally unique. And I've actually had the opportunity to swim with his 19 foot python inside of a pond and swim with no, it. thank you oh crazy i mean to see a 19, <laughs> 19 foot feet 19 foot and you're petting it is that thing just kind of cruises uh, no it just blows your mind <laughs> it's just I, awesome <laughs> i would run as far away from that snake i would want nothing to do see that's the thing about living in rhode island is the wildlife's pretty limited <laughs> <laughs> you know there's really nothing dangerous you know, unless you go in the ocean and maybe there's a shark or two, but like, right. don't really, you mean black bears is probably like three in the state. So like, <laughs> other than that, it's like fisher cats and deer and like coyotes. And that's oh, really it. That's a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty gnarly little animals there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sometimes you'll hear them screaming. Like people don't realize like they make some, they screech like somebody's getting murdered. Crazy. Yeah. I, I've never heard one in the wild. I've heard uh, audio tapes of it. Freaky. Yeah. Crazy. To be honest with you, it was happening um, uh, the other night. So like wow. I said, we live right across the street from a preserve and there's a thousand acres of, of woods and wow. there's a lot of animals. Sometimes you'll hear coyotes. And yeah. that was like, I think one of the few times I've actually heard it. You know, I get out of the car after I pull in the driveway and I'm like, Holy crap. Like that's freaky, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was very distant, but you could yeah. definitely make it out and hear it, wow. you know, but yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff. Um, but and, um, and, and I have to, I have to bring up one other really, really cool project. I know we, we yeah. have limited time here, but one of oh, my favorite right. projects was down in South America. Um, I was working down uh, just outside of um, Bogota, Colombia, 
um, doing a huge ecosystem feature for a shopping center. And um, when I met with the owner, they want, what, what, I, what hit it off for me, I, I was debating actually taking on this project because it was going to be a huge expenditure, yeah. time, resources, money, et cetera, to pull this project yeah. off. I was living in Columbia for over four months. Um, but they wanted to create an ecosystem that literally it looked like the Colombian rainforest split this shopping center in half. Um, so we brought in thousands of tons of boulders and we did a series of waterfalls and filtering systems. And I went back two or three years ago now. This was, we built it in 2016. Um, and I went snorkeling in this pond. And it is literally like you're snorkeling in the Amazonian rainforest. Like there's huge arapaima fish, six feet long. There's paku that are that weigh 30, 40 pounds. They're shovel nose catfish. There's all these incredible animals swimming around. There's tons of turtles and baby fish and you name it. But we created the ecosystem. We gave it the raw materials for success. They added in all these animals and snorkeling it. It was like, it literally, it was one of the most unbelievable experiences. So for me to go back and see it functioning the way it was designed um, is just, awesome and now it's like this thick lush jungle and they have monkeys that actually come out of come down from the mountains and they'll see them actually bathing and, and interacting with the stream system so it's like it's just crazy and it's just nuts <laughs> so like so arapaima right those are like giant like bass like what's a what's the what's the specific name for like those animals that like suck in their food like is there like um, a that, like a biological know, name for that probably is i'm not i don't know i'm sure because they just look form. like they have like the head of a bass yes. but then like the body of like a catfish like one of those yes. cat like a wells catfish yes right over in it, like the uk or something like one of those huge catfish exactly they got a massive yeah. mouth and when yeah. they hit the surface it's like an explosion. It's like they suck in. Well, they've killed people before, haven't they? Just from hitting people in the chest and stuff. They have. And I've gone swimming swimming with them multiple times. And every time <laughs> I do it, I question. I'm like, this, this is going to could, yeah. could, could go bad because I've never gone. That is the only fish, um, freshwater fish. I've, I've, I've swam with sharks and things before as well in the ocean. But freshwater fish where I was snorkeling and the fish didn't move out of my way. Like normally mm. when you're snorkeling, the fish are going to move and they want to get, they want to get away from you. The yeah. Like birds, you know, when you're in a field or something. Yeah, exactly. The aeropima yeah. held its ground. I had to move around it. Like he was like, he had his spot and wow. he's like, this is, this is my, this is my world. He's like, I'm not moving for you. And then Paku are, are basically huge piranha. Right. But, yeah. but they're supposed to, they're supposed to feed on like vegetation, right? Correct. So they eat um, like um, fruits and nuts that fall out of the, the rainforest canopy. So they yeah. have like a really powerful mouth and they can crush like, it's like cow growth. teeth almost. Yeah. I mean, they just crush up stuff. Yeah. They got some crazy, they're actually, um, they're actually really good to eat. I ate them in Colombia. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we ate, we ate them quite a bit and it was really, really good fish. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have, uh, so a couple more questions about some ponds. So like, what is your, would you say that's maybe your favorite build that you've done? It might be this because okay. of the diversity, um, the scale of it. Um, yeah, just such a unique location. And the owners and I, we just hit it off and we just had this really like, yep. they gave us tons and tons of freedom. 
you know, they said, we, we know that you can create something. We don't want to give you too many rules or regulations. We don't even want to give you a budget. They're like, we just want you to create something incredible. So yeah. Like, yeah. So you're like, uh, okay. yeah, let's do this. I guess we can, I guess we can do this. <laughs> um, so, and then would you also say that's probably the most difficult build you've done, or would you say um, you've done something a little bit more difficult than that? It probably was because so that area of Columbia, they get, um, over 15 feet of rain a year. And that's just yeah, normal wow. precipitation. So it's just like yeah. it's part of the rainforested area. So to manage all of that water and the whole ecosystem. And uh, again, we were, were just north of the equator. When we were mm -hmm. building down there, um, it, it gets intense heat, obviously. Uh, I wanted to know how, like the rubber lining that we use, uh, EPDM, it stands for ethylene propylene diene monomer. So it's a rubberized compound. But when you put a black substance in the in the sun, it gets really, really hot. So I wanted to see how hot it was going to get. So, you know, it's like you could barely touch it at noon. The sun is right above your head, right on the equator. And we were going to lunch. And um, so we, I got an egg from somewhere from, I don't know where I got this egg. I asked for an egg from somebody. I'm like, I'm going to put it on the rubber liner. We're going to see if we can cook this egg while we're gone at lunch, just on the rubber membrane. It literally, it was vaporized by the time I got back. There was like a residue. There was like nothing left of it. It just vaporized it. And that like that heat um, yeah. and designing a feature that could function in that type of uh, world, even though natural ones occur, there's a weird inverse relationship that happens with water. So the warmer water becomes, the less dissolved oxygen it holds. So really, really warm water is biologically difficult to work with because you can't hold as much life inside of it. So we had to compensate for that by having huge pumps and waterfalls. Again, go back to that recirculation system. I had to make sure that we had a highly aerobic environment. We didn't want to go anaerobic, just like our bodies, you go anaerobic, you know, you're, you're gasping for breath and you have lactic acid production and things like that. If you go anaerobic in a pond system, it's going to cause acidic buildup and the whole biology starts to change so we had to take all these different things into consideration designing it and pulling it off um in a in a country thousands of miles away from our office and mm -hmm. logistics and we had uh, language barriers you know so there was tons of challenges but probably one of the most rewarding projects i've ever done incredible that's yeah. awesome ah, wow well i can tell you it's been an amazing conversation uh, I think we could probably keep going for another hour and a half, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, incredible. So I end every podcast with this simple, but interesting question because I interview a lot of different people from a lot of different aspects and experiences of life. Mm -hmm. So if you were to leave one piece of advice to the listener could be about building ponds business, or it could be about life, whatever you want it to be, what sort of advice would that be? Oh my gosh, I would definitely, um, I'm an explorer and a researcher at heart. So I would definitely say, get out and, and explore and learn and, um, and try not to get caught in that nine to five treadmill that we were talking about because life mm -hmm. is so much more. And if you take the time and go off on your own and find out who you are and what makes you tick, that's what you need to focus on. And you need to find a career that will support that because life is short. Um, you have to find something that you enjoy doing. Otherwise, I don't under I, 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 I'm baffled by friends and relatives that I have that make a ton of money, but all they do is complain about their job. I'm like, why? 
I'm like, I, I just don't understand it. Why you would go into that, uh, that type of an environment on a daily basis. I'm like, if life is short, enjoy it. Um, get out, explore the world, find out who you are and try to find a, find a career that will match it. Very cool. Well, yeah, sorry about that. I didn't catch that last part because my AirPod died, but it, I know it's recorded on the podcast. So awesome. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you very much. Amazing conversation. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed the questions, love the interaction and love the passion for what you do. Uh, I mean, you can see it in your face and in your voice. And, you know, you are uh, you're an explorer as well. You are out to learn the world, uh, you know, by interviewing people. And it is definitely a God given talent. So good for you and keep doing it. Thank you very much. And thank you for everybody for stopping by the Knowledge Power podcast today. And I will catch you in the next one. And don't forget to leave the podcast a review. Thanks for listening.